0: From India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast.
1: But when the to have become judge, they don't have to do the judges <laughs> in front of the judges. to do the judges ऐसा है कि उसको पब्लिक स्क्रूटिनी भी नहीं कर सकते हैं। तो इसलिए मैंने कहा कि जितने जो जजेस होते हैं, आप जनता आपको नहीं चुनते हैं, इसलिए जनता आपको बदल नहीं सकते हैं, लेकिन आपको जनता देख रहा है।
0: That's Law Minister Kiran Rijuju at a recent function, speaking about the appointment of judges. The minister has played a major role in ensuring that the public has its eye on judges, especially since they've been seeing a lot of headlines regarding the appointment of judges.
1: Collegium system is alien to the Indian constitution. You tell me under which provision
0: the Collegium system has been prescribed. Kiran the law minister, has written
1: to the Chief Justice of India, D.Y. Chandrachud, he score for government representatives in the Collegium.
0: But it's not just the law minister who has had objections to the manner in which India's judges to higher courts are appointed. Vice-President Jagdeep Dhankar, who has been a lawyer in the Supreme Court and is currently Chairperson of the Rajya Sabha, also weighed in on the subject. Dhankar said the dilution or compromise of parliamentary sovereignty by the Executive or Judiciary cannot be permitted.
1: You cannot script in legislature a judgment of the court. Usi that court cannot legislate. It is as clear as anything else.
0: At the heart of this debate is how judges should be chosen for the higher judiciary of India. The issue of how the Supreme Court Collegium picks judges for the country's high courts and the Supreme Court is not something that hasn't been questioned before. As our guest on today's episode explains, it has happened before, but it's never been this intense or prolonged. Chitran Sinha is a Supreme Court lawyer and is the author of The Great Repression, The Story of Sedition in India. In today's episode, Chitranshul explains the working of the collegium and its criticisms, the dangers with not allowing courts to strike down laws, and why there's no easy solution to change the existing system. Chitranshul, from the Vice President to the Law Minister, there's been sustained criticism of the collegium under this government. How do you view this criticism of the collegium system? See,
1: there's always been some criticism of the collegium system. This is not an isolated incident or it's not something which is new. There's always been a criticism, but what it appears is that this criticism that is coming out now, especially from the law minister and uh, people uh, from a particular party or the vice president, this seems like a concentrated attack, if I may say so. Uh, Because that's all they're talking about right now. The law minister, all he's doing in whatever public uh, event that he has, he's talking about this and criticizing it. Same with the vice president, he even used the floor of the Raj Sabha to uh, raise such criticism. While uh, this uh, criticism may be legitimate to a certain extent, but this concentrated attack from the government
0: is something which is very sudden. Could you contrast that with past attacks? Like you said, that is there something else that comes to your mind in terms of criticism and how the collegium has been criticized and how it differed from what we are seeing?
1: This uh, has been criticized a lot in the past. It's again the same point, the judges appointing judges. Even in the past, and I'm talking about uh, law officers, even uh, the former Attorney General uh, KK Venugopal had the same uh, criticism. Even going back to Nehru for that matter. Nehru also or the Constituent Assembly did not want this power to be concentrated in the judiciary's hands or the executive hands for that matter. Earlier also, during the emergency, even prior to that, Governments have been taking on the Supreme Court and the system of appointment. It's not something which is new. While NJSC tried to change the system, it was struck down by the Supreme Court, NJSC being the National Judicial Appointments uh, Commission. The Supreme Court struck it down, saying it's against the basic structure of the Constitution. The Constitution itself does not provide for uh, appointment of judges through a collegium system. This all is something which has been developed judicially by the Supreme Court itself. Earlier in 1981, which is which is popularly called the first judge's case, the court had held that the executive has primacy in such appointments, which was reversed later in ninety-three when the second judge's case which said that it's the judiciary which has primacy. Because you see, this is an evolving system. It is evolving because of what the ground realities of the day. No institution should have power or the unbridled power and checks and balances are important. But while there's criticism, there's also a certain defense of the system that needs to be looked into. It's not that all the criticism is valid or all the defense is invalid.
0: Most lay people would know very little about the collegium and its role. Could you explain why this structure of the collegium as it stands came to be?
1: The constitution lays down that the uh, constitutional judges of the High Court and the Supreme Court are appointed by the President of India in consultation with the Chief Justice of India. Uh, this system changed with the second judge's case where they devised a system of a collegium of five senior most judges nominating judges to be elevated to the Supreme Court from a High Court or even from directly from the bar, directly from practicing lawyers. These nominations are sent to the uh, central government for the inputs and approval or consideration, as you may call it. And once this is done, then the central government takes uh, views of the state government from where such uh, judges are being elevated to the Supreme Court or takes views of the Intelligence Bureau and then sends its views, either it approves it or it sends it back to the Collegium with its recommendations and uh, inputs then the collegium again looks into the same uh, names with the inputs before it. And then if they unanimously agree on reiterating the names, then it is incumbent on the central government, for that matter, the president, because all acts are done in the name of the president to confirm them and process them for elevation. Uh, while this system has five senior-most judges of the Supreme Court as far as the elevation of the Supreme Court is concerned, when you talk about elevations to the high court, is the three senior-most judges who form the collegium. So the same system exists for high courts too, but uh, it's only three judges uh, who formed the collegium there.
0: So how would it work before that then? W- was the executive involved in the selection of judges?
1: The executive has always been involved in the selection of judges. That is an interpretation of the term consultation. Earlier when the first judge's case happened and consultation term was interpreted to mean that it's just a recommendation or his views would be considered, but the final uh, decision rested with the executive. This was how consultation was initially interpreted. But when the second judge's case happened, then they turned it around and said consultation cannot mean mere recommendation. It means that the executive has to agree with what the judiciary is saying in the system of appointments. So the executive does not have a final say. It's the chief justice and the collegium which will have a final
0: say. So the vice president has argued that, I mean, one of his arguments was that the courts shouldn't strike down laws as it goes against what elected representatives who then in turn are seen as representing people have passed laws. So effectively, it's the people's will and the courts are kind of striking it down. Could you talk about why courts strike down laws and why is it a necessary power for them to have?
1: Courts reviewing laws
0: is a function that they
1: carry out or rather a duty that they carry out which has been put on them by the constitution itself. The power of judicial review in the hands of the Supreme Court is one of the fundamental duties of the court and is a part of the basic structure. Merely because a majority of a parliament enacts a law does not mean that the law may be absolutely correct. It has to survive a constitutional test if it is so challenged. Today, there can be a central law which may simply say that every left-handed person does not have a right to vote. And even if 400 or 350-odd uh, uh, MPs vote in for the law and Rajasava passes it the president assents to it does not make the law correct. So it has to be tested on the principles of constitution. So the vice president is wrong in saying that the Supreme Court should not or cannot overturn a law or strike down a law which has been passed by the parliament. That is not how the system in this country works.
0: So uh, another thing that the government has said is that, and it's something that it said during the NGAC arguments as well, that it wanted its own representative who would be involved in this selection of judges. What are the issues with having a government representative on this collegium, given especially, like you said, that they are anyway involved in the selection of judges?
1: Exactly, my point. So, if they're already involved and when their views are already taken into consideration, then there is no necessity for a government representative to sit with the collegium. Because, see, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the senior judges who are part of a collegium are, are not doing things with their eyes closed. Yes, there have been instances where allegations of uh, nepotism or allegations of uh, of some sort of preferential treatment are, the primacy, prim, primacy they look legitimate but at the end of the day, if let's say there's some grave reservation and substantiated reservations which are forwarded by the government to the court about a particular judge or about a particular candidate for elevation to the high court, they are not blind. They do consider that. Of course, the objection or the inputs have to be substantiated in some form. It cannot be something like in recent uh, times we saw that the elevation of a a LGBTQ uh, advocate has been stalled by the government merely because his partner is a foreign national. He's a Swiss national. He's a friendly state. There's no evidence to show that having a LGBTQ judge with a foreign partner from a friendly nation becomes a national security issue. So the collegium very rightly has sent the name back for uh, confirmation for elevation because that is not a objection which has any basis but let's say uh, if you now if you nominate someone and then it turns out the person has links with the criminal syndicate and there's evidence of that and that is brought before the supreme court the supreme court is not blind to say no you still appoint the person while we do trust the government to give the correct inputs and it may be right or wrong at the time we should also trust the collegium in this sense because there's no perfect system anywhere in the world You
0: have to work out what suits you in this country. The fact that you mentioned that the collegium, you know, issued press releases saying that why it had justified three appointments. But that was a very rare insight into how the collegium worked. I don't know if you've seen that before even. So how surprised were you with that decision to publicly sort of counter the government? See, to be honest, I
1: was not very surprised. While uh, the decision to make these uh, resolutions uh, public was taken uh, when Justice Deepak Mishra was the Chief Justice of India. But earlier they would simply write that these names were sent back for reconsideration and we reconsidered and we re-added. But this time I was not very surprised to see such a lengthy and such a point-by-point rebuttal of the objections raised by the government. It's not only in the case of one particular lawyer, it is in the case of multiple lawyers who have been uh, recommended for such elevation. I'm truly not very surprised because while at one hand these public uh, uh, allegations and defences are going on, there's also a case which is going on before Justice Call, who's also a member of the Collegium, where certain petitioners have approached the Supreme Court asking for the memorandum procedure to be strictly enforced for appointments because of a delay in appointments. And the court has called upon the Attorney General to come before it on multiple instances and asked questions why these delays are happening. But at the same time, I'm not very surprised because I've seen that while the Chief Justice of India is doing this in the collegium and while he's staying in the background as far as these things are concerned, Court Number 2 is already a cease of the matter. And while these statements are made in court and the court cannot publicly make those statements in court in response to the Attorney General, it can always do so in, as part of a resolution. So I'm not very surprised that the Supreme Court is also putting forward its views publicly on this aspect now.
0: But it hasn't done that before, right? Do we know if the Supreme Court has kind of stepped out like this and very pointedly said that this is a person and this is exactly why we want this person to be appointed?
1: Not earlier, but now, yes, because again, like I said, it's reacting to all these public criticisms, and that too by a constitutional functionary, Uh, the Raj Sabha chairperson, who's a vice president, and the law minister who's part of uh, this entire system of appointing judges is making these statements in public. So at the end of the day, there needs to be certain transparency from the Supreme Court side also, because on one hand, the government cannot say that there's no transparency. And then on the other, then they cannot criticize the uh, collegium for being transparent about why the reconciliation is being made. So yes, it's fair game on both sides now in
0: that sense. Like you said, the Supreme Court Collegium has been criticized. And like you said, in some cases, justly for its opacity. What other transparencies do you think or what transparencies have been recommended for the Supreme Court to sort of become more transparent and which would perhaps benefit the system overall?
1: Like I said, there's no perfect system. Uh, But uh, one of the examples, like people give the example of the Supreme Court judges of the United States, being appointed by the executive. But again, behind the scenes, there's a lot of deliberation that happens even when those appointments are made. There's American Bar Association, which is involved. Then there's a committee, which is involved. Then there's a Senate confirmation that has to be done. And even that is not a foolproof system, which we've seen very recently when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. Human rights are being trampled on by the American Supreme Court because the conservatives are in the majority there when you look at South Africa, when you look at England, especially South Africa, when some nominations, to, uh, someone is nominated, then everyone's views are taken uh, when another appointment is done. By everyone, I mean stakeholders. Now, again, when you say that this is a system that can improve it, then again, the question will come in and why not the NJAC? Or why not a better form of NJAC? But again, everything depends on the ground realities of the day. I don't want to say much on that, what the ground realities are. But yes, that has to be considered. So yes, when you talk about transparency to be increased, one should know who all are being considered for elevation. Uh, and if there are serious objections to the person's elevation, then this should not be a secretive process. There can always be a uh, system where objections are called for against their names. I'm just saying this off the top of my head, what I can think about. But again, there could be many problems with this also. Like frivolous objections could come in. So then there's, there'll be an argument made against this transparency. So there's no perfect system
0: when you think about it. But one argument that um a lot of people who want the collegium to be changed is that, like you said, like in the US system where the executive has a very crucial role in who gets appointed as a Supreme Court judge, but that is cited as the model that that look that if the oldest democracy in the world can do that, then say why can't India? How do you view that argument that why would something like that not be an ideal scenario here?
1: I'm not a huge fan of that argument, to be honest, because when that happens, then it's just simply affirming majoritarianism. Because if there's a political party, which has absolute majority, then the ideology of the party also seeps into judicial appointments or appointments to any office for that matter. And while no one can deny that any judge who would come to the bench would have an ideological bent of his own, there's no denying that and it's legitimate. Right, wrong is someone's opinion. But everyone will have an ideological bent. But the moment you make that a systematic thing, then you make that a system that whoever's in the majority then chooses who goes to the bench, then it tries to do a lot of issues. Like again, I'll say, look at the US now. With a conservative majority on the bench, the way they are overturning established case laws, which have upheld human rights in the country. So it becomes an issue. So I'm not a very huge fan of the American system anyway. I I personally don't think it's the best system.
0: In turn, you also have the government, um, which is now resisting the Supreme Court by, like you said, failing to clear candidates where a recommendation goes back and forth, but nothing happens basically. What's our history like when it comes to the government blocking the appointment of judges in this fashion? Is this something we've ever seen before?
1: Yes, we have seen this in the past. Also, there was a case where this was not particularly uh, the, the the government blocking it, but deserving candidates have not made it to the Supreme Court. Like uh, when the Delhi High Court Chief Justice A.P. Shah, he could not make it to the Supreme Court because of various reasons. So, deserving candidates have been blocked from reaching like. If you look at the case of Justice Qureshi, you couldn't make it to the Supreme Court uh, because of uh, objections from the government. If this has happened in the past too, it's not that this is something new.
0: But is there an impact that this kind of blockade has on our justice system? Is it a visible impact or is it something that is invisible and which is why you can say continue this logjam for indefinitely in a way?
1: See, it is a visible impact. Anyway, the high courts are suffering from large judicial vacancies. Most high courts are functioning at 40-50% of their strength. And when we criticize the courts for not clearing out their boards, clearing out their rosters quickly enough or efficiently enough, that which leads to a huge pendency of cases, then the need of the R is to appoint more judges and appoint them quickly. Instead of sitting on names and getting into this fight with the collegium or the collegium getting into a fight with the executive, you need to move quickly. You need to appoint quickly and urgently. Otherwise, this will make the situation even worse in the coming years because Justice Chandrachud has about two years as the Chief Justice and the head of the Collegium. This impasse needs to end at some point.
0: A lot of the theory is that this will this is something we're going to see till 2024 hmm. after which we could see a sort of reset in relations in some way. What is the impact that we could see as a result of that?
1: see when this when you ask this question then this could be a question which is pertinent for the supreme court now maybe not for the high courts let's say hypothetically the government wants someone in particular to be go to, go to the high court that may not have an impact in 2024 at all because the person who will be going there will be a junior judge but this situation may become important if you're looking at a supreme court elevation because constitutional issues challenges to laws these the supreme court uh, directly in many cases. And then it becomes important who's sitting on these benches which are deciding these matters. That is why maybe uh, the fight is going on because elections are closed, or maybe it will reset, but maybe it will never reset, or it may reset only when a new chief justice comes in.
0: But um, in Israel, we've seen that sort of protests over the government trying to change the ju- judiciary and tweak the judicial system. In India, on the other hand, we have most people trying to understand what is happening is that also a sign of the disconnect people have with our legal system where they don't understand the dangers of this system
1: of course of course we've never made an effort to get more people to know how our institutions work and uh, most people like you said don't know understand what the collegium is all about what this fight is all about once you put this out into public once you try to explain to the people what the real issue is maybe then there'll be more participation and more voices rising for and against the system. But right now, people are not aware enough of this. That is an issue.
0: Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh, Sunai Marathe, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at typodcast at timesinternet.in